Welcome to Burning the Couch with Pim and Michaela. Although we are licensed therapists, please note that information in this podcast should not replace psychotherapy, clinical supervision, or be taken as legal or medical advice. Privacy is important to us, so all people, places, and scenarios mentioned in this podcast have been changed to protect client confidentiality. Also, we don't condone literally burning your couch. And a special thanks and shout out to C-Cop Studios for the awesome music we're using in this podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to Burning the Couch. We have a special guest today, a good friend of ours. Her name is Kristen Ackerman. She's a master's level marriage and family therapist in California here. And we're going to talk about some of the work she does. She's been doing a lot of community mental health, which Pim and I have spoken a lot to private practice, but we're going to get a little different perspective today. Yeah. Hi, Kristen. So good to have you on our show. Um, Why don't you just maybe introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners of uh, some of the places that you've worked at, maybe not their names, but the type of environments and what you did at those places? Yeah. Um, So I initially did my traineeship at a a kids psychiatric hospital in the outpatient division. And then once I completed um, school, I then got uh, a job at a uh, community mental health uh, program. Uh, It's outpatient uh, adults. So it was 18 and up and I've been doing that. Well, I don't do it anymore, but I, um, you're there for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I started in 2016 and I recently left. So yeah, quite a long time. Actually, Kristen, Michaela, and I used to all work at the same children's hospital. It's not children's hospital, by the way, (laughs) to make that clear. But we were all like in the same hallway. And it was so fun because Kristen was next to me and Michaela was right across from me. And like whenever one of the kids would have a big meltdown or something, we could we would all hear hear it. it. (laughs) We would all hear it. And like, if someone had a crisis, like we would all know, um, cause you know, we would have to like do our protocols and whatnot. And we had our lunch dates. So it was super fun. We've definitely known Kristen for quite some time. So I hope this episode will be interesting for you all. So you get to hear a different perspective than just from the two of us. Well, Kristen, I want to start with asking you, like, what got you interested in, doing the work that you do in the first place, like specifically like the place that you were at and doing community mental health? Um, I found that in my traineeship, I really liked kind of working with more high risk individuals. Um, and I liked working with like upper adolescents. And so I kind of wanted to, look for a job that was somewhat similar. And so I found myself um, looking 
at community mental health because I knew I'd be able to work with, with the job that I went to. I specialized with 18 to 24 year olds um, that I could work with kind of a similar age range and also um, work with individuals with more complex situations um, and more crises. I just liked, I was just drawn to that initially. Um, what sort of things were you seeing there? Like, I know there's crises at high risk, but were there like, was it like a substance use kind of thing? Was it severe mental illness? Like what kind of disorders or challenges did you see? Yeah. Um, it was severe mental illness and majority of our um, individuals that we worked with also had a co-occurring substance uh, disorder as well. Um, the program that I specifically worked at, your primary diagnosis had to be um, mental health. It couldn't be substance use. Okay. Um, for whatever reason, our the county we worked in had us differentiate that, even though I think personally they go hand in hand with one another. It's yeah. Really hard to differentiate the two of them at times. Um, right. And it's like Medicare um, or uninsured, right? Yes. So we worked with um, people who were Medi-Cal, um, some Medicare, if they had like Medi, Medi, and then um, uninsured individuals. And usually we'd work with those who were uninsured to help get them the Medi-Cal. Um, and then we also had to take into consideration their income. So even if they had Medi-Cal, um, but they made a certain amount of income, they could potentially be um, have to pay a, a smaller fee, like at the okay. end of the, like on a yearly basis. Um but I never personally had to deal with that. That was like more on the insurance side that we didn't really, I don't know, whatever came up of that. <laughs> yeah. And so that kind of brings us to kind of an, another point here is you've had several different roles within community mental health. Can you speak mm-hmm. to a little bit about that, what you did there um, and the difference between the positions? Yeah, so I got hired on as a therapist, but like a lead therapist position. Um, so I, how do I explain it? I just had more of like a leadership role. I took on more responsibilities and duties in that role. So I would have more high-risk clients. I had more groups. I was more involved in the training process. I did more of like the coordination of care with different community providers, uh, like community colleges and um, uh, like Job Corps. Um, So I did that for it's a little confusing because I went back and forth between roles a lot. Um, But a couple of years. Then I did, um, I was in the acting role for strength-based case management, um, their program. What was the title? I don't remember the title, uh, but I was like head of the strength-based case management program. Um, so our, the, so we had like the outpatient program and then we had within it strength-based case management as well. So like some people would be like 
kind of like dual enrolled, so to speak. Um, so I was ahead of that for a couple of months as well. I that was probably like my least favorite role. Um, <laughs> um, but it was mostly um, trying to help staff schedule for success and reaching out to the community, going into the community. So that was more of like going to where the client was at versus them coming to us. So we would go to doctor's appointments into their homes and into the community at like Starbucks, if it was like in a secluded area Um, and with consent, of course, Um, you know, driving clients, to the DMV or to SSI, that sort of a thing. Um, And then I've been in the assistant director role. Um, So I've been at two different programs and they operated a little bit differently, Um, but I just supported the program director and a lot of my roles was reviewing documentation, training. I was a point of consult for high risk needs although I was always in that role as well I just had a higher say so to speak if like we were to determine that confidentiality need to be broken I would be like the one that say like yes we can um and then I've also been in the acting program director role where I was in charge so of many roles I know <laughs> yeah and it sounds like there's a lot of work that wasn't necessarily like therapy, like directly providing therapy to the clients and you're either doing more like case management work, um, being a chauffeur, those kind of things. And, um, you know, doing the more like behind the scenes of what it takes to run a program like that. Mm -hmm. Do you find like pros and cons between like doing like therapy work versus like being in a mental health position, but not doing therapy, like doing more management. management? Yeah. Um, because I think like, you know, like in school, right. In grad school, everyone's learning like the theories, everyone's learning the models, like how to provide therapy. But Mm -hmm. when you're actually out in the field, there's so much more to therapy work or mental health work than just being a therapist, because there's people in that has to fill these positions and these roles, um, people who write grants, people who uh, do outreach or therapists who teach, for example. So I want to get your perspective on on that piece. Yeah, so it's there's so in in community mental health, there is room for like traditional, therapy to some extent but maybe not a lot of the theories that we learned in school so we gravitated more towards like cbt and dbt because those seem to be most indicated for the population that we were serving plus the the county county likes that (laughs) yeah and the county likes that slash somewhat requires it um, you know, we had to use the evidence-based practices, um, in our documentation. It had to be very clear. Um, you know, in the program management role, 
you know, you weren't really, we weren't taught about that in school. And so it's something that you kind of just had to learn, but also maybe naturally have a knack for, I think. Um, and it, I really, I mean, I did enjoy it. Like what I really enjoyed was also like a downfall for me eventually just due to natural like burnout. Um, but I, there are pros. I mean, you learn to really get a feel for knowing when and when you cannot, you know, break confidentiality. Like you get, you fine tune some of like the law and ethics components. Um, and you get to kind of fine tune kind of a supervision if you're looking into like maybe like a supervision component. Um, because a lot of it is you're, you're watching over what everybody's doing and you're responsible for what everyone else is doing because everyone else below you is not licensed. I don't know if that answered your question or not, honestly. Yeah, no, it did. And so with like the management, I mean, can I ask you personally, do you enjoy like management or therapy, like one more than the other? Um, I loved, I do love therapy. Um, and I, that is why I went into the field. Like I didn't go into community mental health being like, I'm going to progress through the management role. Like I, that was not what went into, like, that was not the plan whatsoever. It was just like, things fell into my lap where I was able to grow within the company to get to where I was. And um, I did, I did really like management. Um, And I do still, I think that, so I've had two different management. I've been at two different management programs and I think that in order to be in the management role and to be successful in it, you cannot be doing, have a carry a caseload. So Mm. what I think was the most challenging and what kind of led to my downfall and why like I kind of grew out of management was I was still case carrying. Um, Right. In the assistant director role, I carried high-risk clients. I had a couple therapy clients. I dealt with crises when needed. And so it's really hard to be in a therapy session. Therapy session. I was doing air quotes as if you can see them. Uh, it takes time getting used to <laughs> having to like um, describe everything that you're doing visually, but in audio, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, so like I would be doing my therapy sessions or working with, I don't know, I was doing something with a client and then I would have people via like our um, encrypted like Skype or Teams, like Skyping me to consult about like another safety issue. And so Mm. that's where it got really complicated where like I'm trying to give my focus to one person and you can't be present on a safety issue. And so I can't be present with one person and present with it just, and that's where my 
kind of not distaste or maybe even like resentment towards management started to come from was like having a dual role when I yeah. when you shouldn't be in a dual role. But I, I mean, I, there are. No, I think that's honest. I think that's very honest. And, and it's more of a systemic problem that we have, right? Because a lot of these programs are underfunded and that role, the position that you had clearly had to have been a job for two people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe Uh, even more. (laughs) Maybe even more. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) These programs are so underfunded and that's what ends up happening. And then you have like high turnover rates and people not being able to stay there long because they're so like burnt out from their position. Mm-hmm. Can you so, talk? Sorry, Michaela, go ahead. So I was just going to ask, you know, you had mentioned because it is hard and it is high burnout rate. Um, and you said, you know, to be in more management community, mental health, you have to have kind of a knack for it. What kind of qualities or, or even piece of piece of advice for people who are interested in that route, um, would you recommend, or would you think would benefit in that kind of role? Um, I think you have to be somebody who is able to really think through what's going on in a like very meticulous way. Like you have to. Like if you say you're presented with like an issue, a safety concern, and you have to be able to think through the laws, the ethics, the client's well-being all at the same time. So you have to be just very like on your toes. Yeah, very uh, diligent. You have to be able to make really important decisions pretty quickly at times because oftentimes if one crisis is happening, there's probably another one because that's the way it works. Um, yeah. So you also have to be somebody who, because a lot of it was also like reviewing documentation and helping staff hone their own um, therapeutic skills. So you have to be diverse in knowing different therapy modalities and being able to write clinically um, as well. So if you have good like writing skills or clinical writing skills, I guess you should say, um, and which that in itself could be very different if someone's coming from a private practice yeah. kind of standpoint and has mm-hmm. never had to document in community mental health positions, that might be a shift and a, an adjustment too, right? It's ex- yeah, it's an ex- the system we used at least was not very user friendly, it required a lot of different components that were often a little bit repetitive as well. Documentation took a very long time and it was very meticulous uh, because the county audits also required certain things as well. So you couldn't miss certain specific things in it. You also cannot copy and paste or make it, or like, you know, a client sounds, you know, they're presenting as depressed and not making eye contact and kind of fidgety in their chair. If they're presenting that way one week and the next week, you cannot write it the same way, even though they're presenting the exact same way, because their county is going to view it as you're you know, copying, pasting. pasting your documentation, even though, you know, you're not, that's not yeah. your intent at all. Yeah. So 
There's I remember that- having like when we were at that children's hospital together, I remembered I'd copy and paste and like change like four or five words <laughs> just to make it sound different. Yeah. Um, another quality that you have to have in the management role is like, you've got to be organized. Like, you know, besides being over like oversight of everybody in the program, you're also running, you know, depending upon what role you're in, you know, you're doing reports for the County reports for the company you're doing, you know, there's, county deadlines that you have to meet there's the company's deadlines that you have to meet there's so many other things that are going on that you can't risk not being organized like you're gonna you're you'll never make it and I don't mean to sound like so dramatic in that but there's just right there's so much like I, I honestly felt like is as organized as I am in like a professional setting I would leave work and be like a like I feel like I got nothing done even though I I did like I know I did and there's four million things I still have to do I don't know that I ever left being like got everything done good for me like it was like there's still this to do there's still this it's just it's endless it's endless like it's endless yeah much like life in some ways (laughs) there's always there's always laundry to do at least right yeah So on that note, I was going to ask you, like, can you talk more about productivity and what that means? Because I think if you're not in community mental health, that word is quite foreign. Yeah. I mean, I, I know productivity is a thing for my company specifically, and I believe our entire county, but I can only speak to my company that I worked for. Um, But productivity is basically like you had to meet a certain percentage or a certain number, I guess, of client contact slash documentation um, per week, month. Why am I blanking now? I'm like, I've removed it from my head. Um, (laughs) Per, I think it's per month. Um, So it was like a, it's like in the high nineties. So it's like, the way they, the county and a lot of programs think about it is like it's clients serve. So like it would be 5.5 billable hours per day that you had to meet if you're a full-time staff member, which sounds reasonable. Like that's five clients and like 30 minutes of documentation. Now where I argue it's, so what's hard is that We're working with a a population that is not always consistent. There's a lot of barriers to accessing mental health services, as well as the severity of the symptoms. Then these individuals might not always show. So you have to make up that, that one hour or however many clients didn't show. In addition, you know, it's such a high paced um, atmosphere where, you know, you're with somebody and then a crisis happens, but then the crisis bleeds into the next client. So you have to cancel the next client. And then you have a little bit of room. So then the doctor asks you to check in with the client for 15 minutes. And so while you're consistently 
busy, like you're never not doing anything, you don't always meet this 5.5 hours. Hmm. Um, and then in addition to that, like there's stuff that you're doing around the, the program that don't count faxing and doing like a brief check-in. If it doesn't meet certain standards, you can't bill for that uh, with a client. And, um, you know, even when you're doing an assessment, like, you know, the preparation and going through consent forms and those sorts of things like are not considered billable. So like you're losing a lot of like you just can't account for a lot of the time that you are actively doing things. And so you have to keep that in mind. Um, so some, I, I, I have a lot of animosity towards the productivity standards because I, I also come from a place where I've had to write people up for not meeting productivity when they are excellent clinicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my eyes, having somebody who is, skilled with clients who can meet people where they're at is empathetic uses adequate like interventions is good with safety assessment and planning and coordination of care is so much more valuable than just going through multiple clients and I I really struggled with with that part. yeah and I can imagine if you're so like, you want to keep your job, you don't want to get written up and get fired. And I can imagine if you're more worried about, am I meeting productivity this week? You're, you know, you're not going to be as present and your mind's going to be elsewhere. Yeah. And I, and I think just as a whole, a lot of people who get into this field aren't here or don't get into it because they're going to meet these really stringent requirements. It's, I want to be with clients, right? So it is kind of this structure that you have to learn how to work with if this is the population and this is the setting you want to be in. That is just one of the realities, right? Yeah. And it might, it might not feel natural (laughs) or be natural even. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I can imagine this being a, I mean, we all know we've been there, but for you, Kristen, you've been there longer. It's a really high stressful kind of job. Um, and again, very fast paced, have to think on your toes, lots of crisis. What are some of the benefits of being in a setting like this? What are some of the pros of working in community mental health? Yeah, I think that you get a really awesome experience with so many different people. You're going to experience people of many different backgrounds, ethnicities. You're going to have a lot of experience with many different diagnoses. Like I don't think in, you know, private practice, we're going to, you might be exposed to somebody who has a diagnosis um, like schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, unless it's like very, very, very well managed. Um, so I think that's really cool. Like it's, it was a really neat experience to be able to work with such complexities because these individuals are also so resilient at the same time. Many of them are so resilient. So I really enjoyed that. Um, 
Was it difficult as well? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) You get exposure to a lot of different trainings. Um, We have different free trainings that we could attend um, throughout our time. Um, We had required trainings as well on a yearly basis, um, having to do with like theories and law and ethics and all that stuff as well. Um, I think there's the benefit of a really tight knit group. Hmm. Part of what made it very difficult for me to leave was my team. My team was excellent. Like, you know, we, we were a smaller team, so we got to know each other really well. We, you do so much collaboration amongst one another um, you know, there's therapists, there's a psychiatrist, there's more, one or more psychiatrists, uh, a peer, you know, some programs have the case management mm-hmm. component as well. You and know, I think that's have- the beauty of these agencies, right? Is well-rounded care. Yeah. Um, and then the front office staff, like, so you really get to know one another pretty well. Um, and I think that's one of the, the, the best components. Um, other benefits. Uh, loan forgiveness is a big loan one. Forgiveness is a big one. I believe it's like ten years. You have to. It's it, ten years. You don't need to be in the same company. Um, so, it, county or something like that. Yeah, it has to be a nonprofit, county-funded site or something like that. Um, and then it just needs to add up to ten years. So there's, there's yeah, that, that could be a whole nother podcast. There's, there are pros and cons to that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I, and sometimes there's talk of getting rid of it and there's a lot of loopholes. So yeah. for those of you who are interested in loan forgiveness, do your homework. Um, but it is, it is a huge benefit and a lot of people gravitate towards community mental health because of that. Yeah. yeah. So it's just something I want to expand a little more on the coordinating care and treatment team piece, because I think that is really the beauty of agency work and community mental health. That's something that I miss a lot now that I'm in private practice. Um, I mean, I still get pieces here and there because we have our own consultation team and whatnot, but I miss like being in an actual, like, you know, building where I can walk across the hall. If I had a quick question for the psychiatrist, I can use the office phone and call up the case manager and say, Hey, I have a client that needs, you know, basic hygiene products. Where can we find that? How can I get them connected to, uh, such and such services? I miss being able to call like the substance use, uh, you know, counselor or therapist to ask questions about how this pertains to their presentation in this way. Like just those kind of things, like the collaboration amongst professionals of other relevant fields. I think that's really where the beauty comes from in these agencies. Cause it's, it takes more than just, you know, clinical therapy and mental health to really help someone struggling, um, you know, like the clientele that you were seeing. I think 
I think too, to kind of go off of that, I think the client might feel more comfortable, right? If it's, oh, I'm seeing these people in passing down the hall or, you know, after session, you know, I can introduce them to Dr. Panicha, right? Before they leave, because they're going to have an evaluation with her two weeks from now. And she already has, you know, my client already has this familiar face or I know who I'm going to meet with. So, I mean, it's kind of nice to be a one-stop shop in some regard. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I really liked that piece where, you know, each week we would have a, a two hour, um, meeting and we would, you know, support one another in helping to support the individuals we are working with. Um, and it was really helpful to see like, you know, you know, Joe didn't, show to my appointment, you know, have you met with, with that person recently and kind of get a rundown of their presentation to help determine, you know, what's the next course of action? How can we now best support this person? What's going on? So that collaboration amongst one another in the program was extraordinarily helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all come from different perspectives too, where, you know, a psychiatrist is, you know, has their perspective a peer who's been through their own mental health treatment before has their perspective. And then as like therapists who are trained, you know, in a different modality, we're all kind of putting in our input Mm. and working with each other to come up with solutions or interventions or resources to best meet the, the client's needs. And I loved that. I did like that part. I mean, it's, we really did try our best to, do everything that we could within, you know, our realm to help the person. And even sometimes like, you know, housing wasn't part of what we did when we can't bill for housing. Um, We would still, you know, try to find little loopholes and how we could help support them in figuring Mm -hmm. out strategies to, you know, get housing needs met. Like we, it really felt like the team would go above and beyond at times. That's amazing. So on that note, are there other helpers aside from therapists? I know we've mentioned a couple, right? Psychiatrists and caseworkers that other helpers that you think deserve a shout out in this field of community mental health. The peers, the peer support specialists. Mm -hmm. I cannot talk highly enough about the peer that I worked with at my, my most recent, um, program, um, incredible, like so resourceful, so knowledgeable, but always open to learning more and just such a kind human, um, and just brings such a unique perspective. I think, you know, in community mental health, we're trained, don't put your experience or don't talk about your experience. And even as just as therapists, you know, we're not really, we're told, you know, that they're- right. Disclose. <laughs> yeah, don't disclose anything. Whereas, and I, and I understand the reason behind that completely. But I think it's very awesome that a peer does the complete opposite and shares their experience to what they're willing to or open to. 
because I feel like that helps somebody so much knowing that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not available at every programs or agencies, I assume, like a peer support specialist. I don't know. Um, yeah. At the ones I worked with, they were available. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I uh, probably not. I would say. Yeah, I don't think not every not every county funded county program has county. that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. say like the one that I see the most, like a helper that I see in most programs that don't give enough, don't get enough credit, are like case managers. I know you did case management work as like the management position. But um, like someone that I'm particularly thinking of from the children's hospital that we were working at, like she was amazing, you know, kind of like running around everywhere. And like you're really the like the person, the go to person for like six, seven different professionals, (laughs) Um, you know, from one source in one place. I feel like they don't get enough um, shout outs as well. I think another person who doesn't get enough credit is our, is the nurses. So mm. you have the psychiatrist, of course, that's prescribing the medications, but the nurse is really the one that's coordinating with the, you know, pharmacies. If there's a medical issue, typically it's the nurse, the nurse is the one that's called in first. Um, Good point. And- yeah you know, they're the ones giving the injection medications, like the Invega, Sustana, and, and Ambilify injections. Like, they have a lot of responsibilities in supporting the psychiatrist that I feel like a lot of people don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, right, there's a, not enough of them. So, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, I mean, we had one for 400 plus, you know, Clients, same with right. but um, the nurse's role was so integral. And honestly, we had a period where we didn't have a nurse, and it was the most stressful thing. I we could have, I could have imagined. Like it was so stressful because I'm, I can't do certain things because of my my license. Like I don't have the ability to do like distribute medications for some people, but the doctor was too busy to do it. So like, there's like this crazy, like scrambling to try to fill that gap. So like, they're so, so, so important in the community mental health setting. Those would be my, my two. Yeah. <laughs> we love all our helpers. They're all needed. And yeah, anyone in the helping field, field in general just doesn't get enough credit. I think some substance use, um, like AOD counselors and stuff too, right? I've seen some AOD counselors go above and beyond for, for clients and really connect with them on a completely different level. And I mean, I know we've done an episode on this already, but, um, a lot of times they are included in like more community mental health Mm -hmm. uh, settings. So, Mm -hmm you know, I, it's just, it's almost inspiring to see how they can connect with, with clients, with using kind of some of that peer support, um, right pieces, right. Like that connection. So there is something to be said about 
sharing and disclosing. (laughs) It's not all bad. (laughs) Our program didn't have um, a substance counselor, but I do think that would be an important role to fill or to to have. Mm. Yeah. Which kind of leads to our next question, right? If, you know, obviously you've worked in this field for quite some time, you're transitioning out to do other things. Um, but is there some sort of systemic change or, you know, policy that you feel like needs to happen in community work? <laughs> There's a lot of changes in my opinion that there, there needs to be, I think, there's the issue the big of, ones of pay um in general you know i've noticed that you know pay is pretty minimal for what somebody in the community mental health setting is doing um you know i think not only do they you know increasing pay just is needed because of the intensity of the work and the amount of education and everything that, you know, a therapist or anybody else in the helping field has gone through, but it also helps to decrease turnover. You know, high turnover is a complaint that I consistently received in the management role from clients when we did like, um, they're called PAC meetings, um, where we allowed, we had uh, clients come in and talk about, you know, changes they would want to see. And a consistent one was like, there's such a high turnover. Like I just met with this therapist and then they quit and then I got a new one and then it wasn't a good fit. So then I switched this one and then they quit. And like, that's really common to hear. And that's very consistent with community mental health work. So I think that's one of them. And you just think about the therapeutic relationship and how important it is to have somebody with you consistently. Um, I think there's a, just a general need for more staff. Um, I don't, I didn't touch on it all that much, but you know, there was a point in my work where there was two of us in a management role, one full-time therapist, one psychiatrist, one nurse and a peer for over 400 clients. Oh my gosh. It's just not doable. It's, right. It, that's not safe for clients, not safe for staff. Um, and part of that, I think, also has to do with, like, the, the pay, um, but also just positions available. Like, the program in and of itself is not that big anyways. Um, so we need more staff, you know, more therapists, maybe a crisis specialist um more funding yeah (laughs) yeah and that's what it comes down to is a lot of these programs they don't have the funding even when management wants to pay you more yeah right they they don't have it in the budget of course exactly oh yeah like uh, if it were up to me and i i had the funding i would increase people's pay tremendously but i couldn't i was bound by the contract we had with the county and right. it was to be quite frank, am I allowed to swear? It was shitty. I don't know. Yeah. If yeah. Like. Yes, <laughs> yes, you can. We swear on the show. It's uh-huh. rated explicit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was really, really frustrating to deal with. 
because we've lost people when I was hiring or trying to hire. They're like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not going to work for that. That's insane. And, and like in my head, I'm like, yeah, I know. But like, I can't say I that know. out loud. Um, so, you know, that would be a change. I would change. There's so many things I could go on a rant. <laughs> um I think there's like like I talked about the productivity I think there needs to be less a demand on productivity and more on quality therapists like quality of work versus quantity of work Mm -hmm. in my agreed there's listeners that are like oh my god yes someone finally said it (laughs) you know like I identify with this yeah like I just it doesn't Productivity just frustrates me. I don't, I, I can't even like talk about it anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see, like in general, like just even in mental health as a general, there just needs to be more of a, it's, it's just such a bigger systemic issue of like, there needs to be more coordination of care with hospitals, but the hospitals are dealing with very similar situations as we are. Like the the county hospital is probably, I mean, I can't speak for it, but like, I would imagine it's pretty understaffed. A lot of people are there, right? you know, they don't have the time to coordinate with us, but it's so important on our end so that we could follow up with our clients and then people are being discharged too quickly. There's just so many. Yeah. It comes down to like (laughs) policymakers really understanding mental health. You know what I mean? Like they're, And when in the beginning of this episode, we were talking about like people who are considering different fields of work um, or not different fields, but different roles Mm -hmm. in mental health, right? Like you don't only have to be a therapist, like policymaking is one of them. Like, I think we need more professionals who have a background in community mental health or even mental health in general that are making these rules and decisions, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the people who are deciding how much money goes into these programs, do they have a background in mental health? I don't know because it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. And I feel like the people, like somebody who's been in community mental health and decides, you know, this is not the route for me. I think they would be phenomenal at policymaking because they've been in the trenches. They know exactly what's happening and where, you know, money and resources and what have you need to be allocated. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not one to policy writing doesn't like give me excitement necessarily, but I know (laughs) therapy, therapy is what gives me the excitement um, but you know, there's such a need for, for mental health advocates to start writing the policy and getting more funding. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I have one more question actually yes. that I just thought of. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about just like being in the trenches of it mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's probably, many people who are currently in the trenches of it, mm-hmm. <laughs> of mental health in the county, um, who are probably feeling burnt out, who are maybe crying on their way to work right now. And are crying listening to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, overwhelmed, feel like their to-do list is never ending. Yeah. What would you say to somebody in that position right now who's Who's just like, what did I sign up for? Well, first of all, I've been there. 
you know, I have been the person to cry to cry on my way to work to like have difficulty getting out of my bed because I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be another day of, you know, crises and trying to get everything done and not succeeding and overwhelm and stress. And the person that cries leaving work as well. Like I've, I've been that person and it sucks. <laughs> um, you know, I, for me, I, I clearly I had to, have, I, I loved community mental health for quite some time. And there's like, we've talked about, there are a lot of great benefits to it, but it comes to some point when, if you're, you know, finding yourself crying or not wanting to go to work or, blurring your boundaries like I had where I would be working three, four hours after my work because I was salaried. So I was able to do that, but I actually wasn't getting paid. I was just lending my time. Um, it's not healthy. And it comes to a point where, you know, you need to really consider like, is your mental and or physical health worth it for mm -hmm. me ultimately like it got to a point where my mental and physical health were deteriorating and mm -hmm. I had to get to a point or I got to a point where I had to prioritize me over my work mm -hmm. um and it, I mean I honestly think it was the best decision for me. It was really hard for me because like I said, like my team is, was phenomenal. Like I really loved my team. That was the hardest part. And even some of the, you know, the, the clients I worked with were incredible humans and, you know, leaving them was really difficult too. But I had to really think about, you know, Hey, like, I can't help these people or my team if I'm not doing well. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a matter of, you know, what I would just say is really take a step back. First, take some time off, take some PTO, do it. You, that's something you get with working with the county. That's you, a pro. You get, yeah, you get some pretty good benefits. Use your PTO. And use your PTO. Don't feel guilty for using your PTO. Yeah. Uh, because when I left, I had over like 20 something hours, which means I wasn't really using my PTO. Um, I also felt like I couldn't all, being in a management role too. So that was, that's right. what I was but, you know, utilize your PTO, take time for yourself, surround yourself with, you know, people and things that you like to do. And if you're able to kind of overcome some of that burnout and you feel like you can still work, Sure go ahead and do it. But if you find yourself burning out really quickly again, maybe take, then take the step back and say, is this the right choice for me? And if it's, if it is, if it's not, that's for you to determine. Mm -hmm. And it is okay for you to step away from the job. If you're not able to do it, it's scary. And I get that because I've been there, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. And it will be okay. Yeah. I love that. 
let that sink Kristen, in. Kristen, I want to hug you right now. I, <laughs> I know. We're virtuals. I know. And, and I think that's so important. And thank you for saying that for our listeners, because I think everyone is in this field to help and they want to help and they can't see themselves doing anything else. And I feel like when you make the decision to leave a place, you can feel like an absolute failure. Mm-hmm. right? Like, what am I doing with my life? This was what I'm supposed to do. I chose to be a therapist um, in this position, in this role to help people. And I can't do this. It might not be the right fit. Yeah. And and giving yourself permission to say, it's okay if I want to do something else. It's okay if I want to explore other areas of mental health or right. something completely different, right? And that was something that I had experienced that I was kept searching for somebody to give me the go ahead. Like, is this okay to quit my job and do something else? Um, and only you can give yourself that permission. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and that's the thing is I think community mental health is an excellent experience. Mm -hmm. I think if you're, if your plan is, Hey, I want to experience it, get some training, learn how to document my ass off, you know, be there for a couple of years and then do something else. Great. But don't beat yourself up if you're not making it to the 10 year loan forgiveness. (laughs) Don't beat yourself up over that. I mean, I did, I I did get such good training though, right? Mm -hmm. Like all the three of us that have been in the same like training situation is I think it helped me be fully equipped for anything that would come my way, whether it's documentation, whether it's dealing with subpoenas, whether it's dealing with like um, multiple crises all at the same time, a coordination of care, like I've done it all. So the transition to other fields of mental health, like private practice or teaching or whatnot was such a smoother transition. Yeah. You're way ahead of the game at that point. Yeah, I would agree. I've you know known people that have gone from the community mental health setting and then switched into like the private practice or other um, mental health fields. And they were like community mental health prepared me so well mm-hmm. with all the different things that I had to learn being mm-hmm. in that setting. So. And I would say the transition from private practice to community mental health is not as smooth. <laughs> it is it is a oh no. shit. <laughs> I'm not writing enough in my notes. Yeah, and I've actually found not to deter anybody, but I have found that people that we've hired that were in private practice that switched to community mental health didn't tend to stay as long. Yeah. Mhm. And I don't know, you know, I don't know why. I I can't necessarily speak to exactly why that is. Um but it is, I mean, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It is reward. Yeah. It's a lot. It's rewarding, but you have to have to have to be mindful of that burnout because it most likely will come yeah. at least in my experience. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think let's normalize that. Yeah. I, you know, if you're a therapist and you've never experienced burnout, like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I want to meet, meet you. Right. Yeah. Um, give me they have routine. the cure. Yeah, yeah. Let me talk yeah. to you. <laughs> or, or, you know, you haven't been, you just started probably. So <laughs> not to scare everybody, but I, I think it's good to keep it real and 
you know, our clients consent to treatment, we should be have the full rundown on what our job entails, right? Right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kristen, for being a part of our episode today. It was so lovely hearing from you and hearing about your experience. And I think a lot of our listeners are probably really going to appreciate this episode as well. Just hearing from someone else that's not us and particularly your very unique experience as well. It was so helpful. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Burning the Couch, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Burning the Couch. And of course, if you have a question or comment, please feel free to email us at podcastbtc at gmail.com. And we also have a new inquiry form now on our website at www.burningthecouch.com. So if you're interested in being a guest speaker like Kristen, please feel free to fill that out and we'll be in touch.